Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekly. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer in Tel Aviv. June is here, and in Tel Aviv, that means the streets are covered in rainbow flags as we kick off Pride Month. The first big Pride event, however, isn't here in Tel Aviv. It's in Jerusalem. Rabbi Alona Nir Keren will be one of those kicking off the parade with her blessing, and we're lucky enough to have her here to talk about the parade, the march, its history, the controversies around it, and have a wider discussion about LGBT life in Israel and how the current Netanyahu government has changed it. Also joining me is our crack Haaretz reporter, Linda Diane, who witnessed a dramatic protest this week at an event by Israeli publisher Sela Meir in honor of a controversial anti-trans book by an American journalist. Linda's also covered the visits to Israel of high-profile American social conservatives like Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson. She'll tell us all about them and also share her perspective on Pride Month. Rabbi Alona Nir Keren is the spiritual leader of Kihilat Mevaseret Zion, a reform synagogue just outside Jerusalem. She lives there with her partner Yael, their daughter Ori, and her son Itamar. She has worked for many years in Jewish education in Israel and the diaspora with a master's in conflict research, resolution, and management. Alona, welcome. And I would think a degree in conflict resolution comes in handy when you're a reform rabbi outside Jerusalem involved in LGBT rights. Totally. <laughs> Linda Diane is a writer and editor here at Haaretz. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much, Allison. Alona, ahead of the parade, the organizers at Jerusalem Open House called on Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to take charge for the safety of the marchers in the parade instead of National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir. The Open House organizers said that Ben-Gvir, quote, isn't suitable to oversee the parade and keep its participants safe and that his authority causes great concern. Why is that? Wow. So first of all, shalom, and uh, thank you for inviting me. It's very exciting. So I will, I will maybe go back uh, about 20 years ago to one of the first parades in Jerusalem, which I participated as a student for conflict resolution in Jerusalem. And I don't think it was the first one. Uh, and the first one, we all of King David Street was uh, fenced and um, there were lines of, of officers holding hands just to make sure that no one of us will be hurt. The very first one, I believe, was in 2002. Yeah, that's exactly the years, exactly. So I think that a year later or two years, I hope I'm not mistaken, on the corner of Prima Hotel or something like that, uh, it's a Paris square, mm -hmm. Ben Gvir and Smotrich, they waited for us with donkeys. And... You know, those people are, are like um, mean. I have no other <laughs> word than say they are vicious. They're using um, fascist metaphors and ideas and spreading hate. And this person is supposed to, you know, be in charge uh, on uh, my safety while I'm in this parade. Meeting those people with this hatred in the in that corner uh, so many years ago and these names are in my memory and I think to yesterday or a day before that um, the organization that Bengvir is one of its uh, great supporters it's an organization named Lehava and it's run by um, Gupstein he's you know from the same party from the same ideas and they spread two days ago that 
everybody should be there in Jerusalem, come to Jerusalem, make sure that the, the, this gays and LGBTQ, of course, they're not using those words. They're using, you know, all these impure people are uh, coming and they're turning our city of holy, you know, our holy city into so- Sodom and Gomorrah. And for me is to understand that the same person that for 20 years, no matter what he's saying now, that for 20 years he's leading publics in hatred and with uh, messages that are unacceptable, that this the same person has to or supposed to make sure that uh, my two kids, which I am taking to the parade on this Thursday, uh, be safe. The last time when I walked and I was terribly terrorized, <laughs> that's the word I, I should use, uh, is on 2015 when uh, we marched again with our baby. Ori is uh, nine year old and she was two years old and we carried her and suddenly there was a commotion. There was something like few rows uh, ahead of us. And later we understood that an ultra-Orthodox person who 10 years before that uh, attacked three people was only released from from jail and uh, his name is Ishai Schlissel and he, you know, with a knife just murdered with cold blood, beautiful 16-year-old uh, Shira Banki and all the signs were there. It's, it's a violent person driven by ultra-orthodoxy and religion and faith And driven by all these rabbis that are saying these people are not people. They're, you know, they're uh, like animals. Uh, so you can kill them. It's all right to, you know, to clean the city. Um, so I totally understand the calling. And that finally back to your question. I understand that as a gay person, as a lesbian, I do not feel uh, secure when this person is in charge. Um, hopefully... Like I, it's not gonna it's not gonna uh, cause me not to come. I will come with my wife with with my kids, as I said. Uh, do I feel a bit nervous about it? Yes. Linda, you're a young Tel Aviv person, and last year you went and you attended the parade in Jerusalem and wrote for us at Haaretz about your impressions. Do you remember how much it struck you, how different Jerusalem Pride Parade was than a Tel Aviv Pride Parade? Of course. For many years, I was a madricha, or I was a guide for Israel's LGBT youth group called Iggy. So the first time I went to the parade, I was going to supervise groups who were coming with us, um, mostly groups of youth. And I had only been to the Tel Aviv Pride Parade before the hand, and Tel Aviv Pride is a massive party. It is bright. It is musical. You can hear and feel all the excitement around you. Um, from the moment we arrived in Jerusalem, we could tell just how different it was. It's just such a stark and profound feeling when they finally release you from the park where everybody meets to begin the parade. And it is dead silent. There is nobody outside. You are marching on the parade route, and it feels like you are going through a ghost town. Um, every once in a while, people will peek through the windows, but only to like take a look at what kind of commotion is going on below. And you very much feel like you are making a statement just by existing in this space and just by walking through it. Even if you're not chanting anything, even if you're not holding a banner or a flag, you feel like... 
you are a spectacle um, and you feel unwelcome. Um, up until the end of the parade where it gets into more, I guess, diverse areas and people will greet you and there will be flags from balconies and it starts to look a little more friendly. Um, for a while, you are very much walking through an area where you feel like you might be threatened, where that is not something that crosses your mind for a single second at uh, Tel Aviv Pride. And that was before the election of this government. So this year should be even uh, more interesting. The parade has been a political football since early, since the first days of this government in December, right after the elections. Anti-LGBT uh, lawmaker Avi Maoz from the Noam party announced his intention to cancel the event. He was, I don't know, excited by his power now that, uh, that the election was held and he called it a shame and a disgrace. Immediately, Netanyahu steps in and tweets, the pride parade in Jerusalem will continue to march. The government headed by me will not harm the LGBT community and the rights of every citizen in Israel. We will provide a mutual guarantee for all citizens. This is our mission. Um, Linda, it feels like there's kind of a double game here. Netanyahu says this about the parade. He makes a big deal of naming Amir Ohana, an openly gay man you profiled him for Haaretz, the Speaker of the Knesset. But then he also names Maoz, a deputy minister in the prime minister's office, gives him authority for extracurricular activities in schools. And then... Shortly afterwards, Maoz leaves the government in February, protesting what he says was no serious intention to create or fund his office, which is the Jewish National Identity Office. And then the budget vote comes up recently. And uh, as of Sunday, this week, I guess in honor of Pride Week, Avi Maoz is back. And he's back with a budget of 285 million shekels, that's $76 million in funding. So, you know, is Netanyahu playing some sort of a, a double game here? How do you see the politics? I'm truly amazed by how much cake this man thinks he can simultaneously eat and have. Mostly he's trying to please his fellow members of the coalition, um, give them everything they asked for, actually go through with all the promises he made during the coalition negotiations because he's seeing that they're serious when they say that they will leave the government if they do not get what they want. They will actually do so. These are not false threats. So he's realizing, oh, no, I need to actually come through on the things I told them I would give them. While at the same time, especially to the international community, he needs to provide at least the facade um, that this is still very much a liberal haven. Who has the power in this particular case to protect or harm? We have yet to see. Alona, how do you see this back and forth Netanyahu game between wanting to represent the liberal startup nation that's even accused of pinkwashing, showing off how tolerant it is, and uh, capitulating to uh, to his extreme coalition partners. Um, I totally agree with with Linda. I think that his politician that uh, uh, his politics is survival right now, and he will do everything to uh, make sure that he passes this government. I mean, like the government will not fall until his trial is, uh, you know, over or not over or whatever will happen there. What makes me very optimist is to see the, you know, the um, civil society is saying, you know, very clear and loud, saying, no, it, this this uh, country will stay democracy and will make sure that it will be. I will have to say that as a part of the reform movement, uh, if I'm focusing on, on Avi Maoz and, and his terrible programs for the future, 
um, we are very dedicated to resist it. And actually, right from here, I'm on my way to uh, a meeting, like a small conference of our um, uh, communities. We have 50 communities, reform communities around Israel. So representative from all those communities. We will open the, uh, the meeting with a very clear conversation and a message to our lay leaders to go into the you know, the non-religious educational system and to make clear for all the educators and all the teachers and all the principals that by law, they're not supposed to uh, to collaborate with Avi Maoz and not to be afraid. As long as we're together, it will not happen. And we have to be very creative and very smart and as persuasive and also stubborn as the other side, and we will win. Are there, in addition to Avi Maoz's budget, are there issues that everyone is sort of on guard for watching deteriorate under this government? What are the actual issues or problems or difficulties that uh, you think that this government can cause the LGBT community? And maybe in that context, talk a little about, we've contrasted the parades, right? The the Tel Aviv parade and the Jerusalem parade and the mood. But how does that reflect the situation of actual LGBT people who are living in maybe a protected environment in Tel Aviv with a municipality that's very aware and has a lot of members of the community as deputy mayors are in positions of power and the feeling of of members of your community who live not just in Jerusalem, but all around the country. As a person that lives in Mevaseret, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, last week I, I drove to Tel Aviv and, you know, suddenly all the flags, all the uh, pride flags uh, hanged here. And it's like, wow, like, I, I can't believe it. It's like, wow, I'm in a different country. So the feeling is, it's the same feeling as Linda just described about going from the celebrative, happy parade in Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The feeling is that, A, we, we are a minority, so you feel as a minority. Um, and you understand that it's not the same to grow up your kids. Again, and I'm a mom for of, of two kids. And, for example, my daughter, nine years old, took quite a lot of time uh, till she she uh, shared with her friends in the in the classroom that she has two moms and not a father in the picture. And I'm sure that everybody are like it's not a, a special uh, experience uh, as an LGBTQ over the world and over Israel. But I think it's it's got uh, harder. And I will give one example uh, from my community. So I have a very lovely, um, uh, his name is Ruby Gat, he's the director uh, of films, and he did a few years ago a film about uh, uh, Dear Freddy. It's uh, about a gay person. He spent the Second World War in Auschwitz and he saved kids and happened to be gay, openly gay, uh, back in 1945. So it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And it was supposed to be screened in the city of Kharish. It was authorized. Everything was okay. A day after the election, the city of Kharish calls him and says, listen, some of these citizens are objecting, you know, the, the screening of this movie. We are canceling. And why do I, I tell about it? A, because he's a member of my community. So he's saying, you know, I'm a creative person. I'm paying taxes. I'm uh, an equal citizen. But they will not show my movie because it talks about gay people and because I am gay myself. So the feeling is that it's not only in the news. It's not only it's like it, it gets into your home. 
And if we are not going to be very clear about objecting it or putting very, very clear red line that this is not acceptable, then it will very, very fast deteriorate to, to a country that we don't want to live in. So, so it's, we are not in a disaster uh, place yet, but we need to be alert. That's, the, that's what I feel. Linda, we want to hear about what happened to you in Ramat Gan on Monday evening. First, I'll play a clip of a video that you recorded there, and then you can explain to us what happened. We are not a disease. We are not a contagion. We are people, and people are allowed to make choices about their bodies. You're dragging on the so this was at an event by a right-wing Israeli publishing house, Sela Meir, hosting Abigail Schreier, marking the Hebrew language translation of a book called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. Linda, tell us what happened. So I barely even want to give this book even more publicity um, because it is feeding off of it at this point. Um, but essentially what happened uh, from beginning to end is that a book that was published in America and created a pretty significant storm there, uh, especially among transgender people, their parents, um, their healthcare providers, people who work in mental health, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The book says more or less that lately... Uh, in recent years, because of social pressure and social media, um, young girls are being convinced to very suddenly, without any hint of anything that had come beforehand, uh, to suddenly identify as transgender, to want to change their names and pronouns, and to immediately uh, receive medical treatments um, like hormone shots and surgeries in order to affirm their gender. Um, and throughout the book, it essentially refers to trans men as women and biological girls, and it tells parents uh, not to indulge this and to essentially continue referring to their children as their daughters, um, by their given names, by female pronouns. Um, and it says that uh, transgender men who transition uh, frequently regret it and are left with the titular irreversible damage um, and particularly uh, damage to fertility. And we're not even going to get into the can of worms of fertility being a woman's most important asset with uh, a particular subset of Western conservative society. But this really enraged a lot of people for many obvious reasons. And this publishing house, Selameir, translated this book into Hebrew, edited it, and is publishing it. And they brought in the author, Abigail Schreier, to essentially have a moderated conversation with the book's Hebrew language editor, address this crowd in English um, about the dangers that are coming for their daughters. When a group of essentially Israeli queer teens got wind of this, they decided we are not going to let other people tell us who we are, and we're especially not going to let them tell our parents who we are, and not to accept us and not to love us for who we are. They organized protests. They started a WhatsApp group. When we found out that 
the event was going to be held at this one particular space in Tel Aviv that usually hosts a lot of apolitical community building uh, activity. Journalists were asking why they decided to host this particular event. And they said, oh, my goodness, we didn't know what it was. We're going to tell them it was canceled right now. And after it was canceled there, the publishing house moved it to the Carlton Hotel. And these activist teenagers took it upon themselves to let the Carlton know. Uh, and the event was canceled again. And then it was rescheduled for a mystery location. Uh, that was not told to ticket holders until about 24 hours beforehand. Um, it was moved to the Tel Aviv suburb of Ramat Gan. Uh, the location belongs to a right-wing social group um, called Forum Café Shapira. And a massive protest of mainly, but not entirely, but mainly, uh, teenagers, uh, mostly from the LGBTQ community, uh, organized to tell Schreier, to tell the publishing house, to tell the people who are going into the event how they feel, um, and to tell them to talk to them, that being transgender teenagers, rather than to listen to someone who is essentially denying their existence um, about what they feel. At the event, while Schreier was speaking and making her points about... Um, gender dysphoria and uh, parenting, etc., etc., a young person in the audience leaps up, says, um, Ms. Schreier, I would like to ask you, and before they can continue, is restrained by several men and dragged across the floor out of the room um, while shouting what you heard before. Um, we are not a disease. We are not a condition. It was actually a man who was standing behind me um, who was shouting back at them. Um, you are a disease. You know, you're still a freak, uh, which was truly vile to hear. And I ran after the activist, um, who is a 17 year old named Ayelet, who uses they them pronouns. And essentially made the point that this is an ideology that they're importing from the United States, from the United Kingdom, and trying to bring into Israel. And, like, it was fascinating to hear them say, um, despite Abigail Schreier's best efforts, my parents love me. My parents accept me. It was a pretty small audience. It was about 100 people. But that was the only provocation, and that was actually what really got the event into the mainstream headlines. Alona, Israel surprisingly you know, felt kind of ahead of the curve when it came to trans acceptance, pioneering with a pop star, Don International. I remember when she won the 1998 Eurovision Song Contest because of its necessity to deal with the wide population. The IDF has had to put procedures in place for trans soldiers. We've also had a, a trans officer. It seemed like, you know, in terms of acceptance or integration into society that we were doing pretty well. Do you feel that some of this, I don't know if it's influence from social conservatism abroad or in America, or if it's the increasing uh, orthodox religiosity of the of the population or the way our politics are going? Do you feel like there's a, a, a movement backwards? Yes and no. <laughs> well, yes, it is. Uh, and I agree with Zayelet uh, and what they said. It does feel that it's, um, you know, imported from 
not from Israel. So um, on one hand. And the other hand, again, we talked about Avi Maoz and we talked about all this uh, politics that are, uh, you know, they are uh, very, very loud and very anti-gay and, the, you know, trans because they are more apparent and uh, some of them, right? Um, so it's even easier to to uh, resist or to um, humiliate uh, and, you know, to hurt trans uh, people. You know, yesterday I, I had a, um, a meeting. I'm for two years now. I'm meeting with two uh, Haredic uh, yeshiva boys. They happened to come to us, you know, suddenly they appeared in one of the uh, services, um, Shabbat services. And they said, you know, for us as ultra-Orthodox, transgenders are less of a problem. Why? Because they are not undermining the, uh, you know, the structure of the society. And as I feel the uh, this uh, side of the population, though it grows, it also opens up and they have no other uh, uh, possibility. They are opening up for, uh, um, you know, different ideas and different people from them. And I think if we are making a big enough coalition with different parts of society, which are not, you know, uh, radical and extremist and I would say fascist and all those words, but they are uh, willing to to live together and you know live and let live in in some aspects of life so you know my my answer will be no i don't think that we are going backwards i do feel that it's it's a it's a movement like back and forth but again i i believe that we will uh, it will will not go backward it's not a possibility linda you have had the opportunity to hear social conservatives Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson, both from North America, come to share their ideas here, sponsored by organizations similar to the ones that published this book. When you were there, did it feel like this was some sort of foreign implant in the DNA of Israeli society, which does tend to be very, for all of its issues with religious, non-religious, relatively cohesive? Or did it feel like their ideas are hitting some kind of currency here that uh, that there's an, an embrace. What was, the, what was the sense that there's an eager audience here in Israel wanting to hear what they're preaching when it comes to their agenda regarding LGBT and particularly trans? So for both of those particular events, uh, Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson, most but not all of the crowd were Anglos, um, were native English speakers who had made Aliyah, who've been here for a while, and are still following all the media and all of the discussions that are going on uh, regarding this particular discourse back home. But what really fascinated me about the Ben Shapiro event, uh, the one that I went to first, is that when Israelis did go to listen to it, every single one of them um, that I can recall brought up gender issues um, and gender identity as one of the things that drew them to this particular figure and the politics that he espouses. Um, everyone seemed very afraid that uh, people were going to come in and like force their children to be trans. Um, and that seemed very strange to me. Um, that sounded very non-Israeli to me. As you said, this is the country of Dana Internacional. Like, there really wasn't that kind of 
discussion here that I'd ever heard before. Um, and around the same time, I remember I was like walking through a park and I saw that someone had graffitied um, all over a post there, like trans women are men, um, protect women's spaces, all of these horrific transphobic statements. And most of them were in English. Like Hebrew doesn't even have a vocabulary yet for this particular brand of bigotry. Nobody really cared beyond uh, their own family, beyond people that they knew personally. It was never a rallying cry. Um, but suddenly very American um, and very British and very Western ideas about gender identity are making their way here. Alona, I want to conclude with the issue that's dominating the society now and that everything has to come back to now, and that's the protest against the proposed judicial reforms by the Netanyahu government. You're a triple threat. You're female. <laughs> You're a lesbian. You're a reform rabbi. So, you know, tell us about the relationship of the community to this protest movement how you feel it speaks to you personally and, and what it's like living in Israel with this government in charge that wants to do this, that wants to take away the authority of the Supreme Court, which most people know is the main obstacle to a government oppressing minorities. And when you're a member of several minorities, that must be rather frightening. Yeah, it is. Actually, all my, you know, all the the legal status that I, I can live out and proud and be a rabbi and a leader of a community, a lot of it I have to give thanks to the uh, Supreme Court. So um, for me, it was, you know, from the first minute that Simcha Rotman and the uh, Justice uh, Minister uh, Yariv Levin, uh, they both declared this, this reform and actually we'll say a, a coup or a uproot or right. Overhaul. Over, yeah. uh, so for me, it was obvious that I, as a Israeli reform rabbi and a woman, and of course, as a, as a lesbian, I, I have to resist. In my lifetime, in 20 years, which is nothing in, in historical, you know, everything changed. I couldn't dream in my best, best dreams that, as you said, the IDF will be the most openly, uh, I would say, two gays or gay friendly or uh, I think or in the world in a way. Um, our justice system is very, very advanced. And in general, the, the public, I, I totally agree, couldn't care less, couldn't care less. All these fundamentalist ideas uh, they're foreign to our culture and to our uh, to our uh, uh, country, and a tiny minority, a very loud and radical minority, is taking advantage in order to, you know, um, get political and other way uh, means of power. Am I worried? Yes, very worried. I am thinking of, hey, is there a, a better place for me to live? Yes, if if the conditions will be, you know. Uh, horrible. I would not stay here. But for the meantime, I do want to live here. And I do want my kids to celebrate their Jude Judaism, but also their the fact that they have two moms and, um, and not to be ashamed of it. So f for me, it is a struggle. Uh, but ag again, I do believe that uh, we will be very, you know, persistent and will overcome. <laughs> <laughs>
that's an optimistic message to end the podcast and to begin Pride Month. Yay. Alona, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Rabbi Alona Nierkeren. And Linda, thanks to you too. Thank you so much, Alison. Toda raba. Thank you so much. <laughs> And that wraps things up for Haaretz Weekly. I'd like to thank my guests, Rabbi Alona Nierkeren and Linda Diane, and my producer and editor, Nara Malkin. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer, and until next week, Shalom from Tel Aviv. Music